Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today, Sarah Patterson, was most recently the VP of Talent Management for a little old company called Walmart, their e-commerce group there. And prior to being acquired by Walmart, she held the role of Chief People Officer at Bonobos. She brings a breadth of experience from scaling high-growth tech companies to serving as an HR executive at one of the world's largest, Walmart. And she brings expertise across HR, talent management, and digital innovation from category-changing brands like Bonobos, Condé Nast, Guilt Group, and more. Sarah currently lives in Brooklyn, where she and her husband own the Tex-Mex Tequila Bar Lobo. And we'll certainly talk about what it's like to own and operate a restaurant in these crazy times. And she has two daughters and two dogs. So if you hear any barking in the background, those are the <laughs> dogs. So we'll get to it. And I've known Sarah one way or another for 15 years. Crazy world. Yeah. Um, and I think I've pitched her more than enough times trying to get some recruiting business from right. her at one, at one point there. But we, we crossed over paths at SiriusXM, and we have an amazing common connection in Sarah Sheehan. She's the founder of Bravely. She's a, another guest that I've had on a few episodes ago. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for Sarah and her career, which she has built. And I'm excited to share her story and insights. Sarah Patterson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. I'm excited to be here. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. We did it. We finally did it. And I'm excited yes. today. So one of the things we were talking before the show, you know, when I have folks who have reached your level of success uh, in our industry, in the world of talent access and, and HR, I love to dig in first to your career story. You've been at this for a while. You've been yes. there. You've done that. You've seen it. Uh, and we'll certainly yes. talk about the pandemic here. But correct me if I'm wrong. You started in a search agency, you were a external yep. recruiter. Yep, I was. How, how did so you get I, into that? Like, how did that even come about? Was that like right out of school? No, no, gosh. Um, I actually spent quite a few years in the service industry. So in the restaurant business, um, hence why my husband and I still have my toe in it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I spent many, many years in the restaurant business, working behind the line, working in the front of the house, managing restaurants. And um, I met my husband, who was an actor, and I had just received my MBA from Baruch. And I looked at him and I said, one of us has to have insurance if we're going to get married. <laughs> and I guess it should be me. And so um, I searched for a job that I felt would bring, you know, my uh, MBA program, which was in industrial organizational psychology, together with like what the restaurant business meant to me. And that was customer service and People sales. Business. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, having managed people for about, I'm going to date myself, but a good 12 years prior to even entering into staffing and, and recruitment, um, I felt like that all sort of came together. 
at Atrium Staffing. And also it was a small business and they were very entrepreneurial and I was able to be a real part of growing that business and helping them develop not only their um, own concept and philosophy, the applicant-centric philosophy, but also help them build that business to where it is today. We actually, I just had a, a call with the um, CEO of Atrium because they're 25 years old this year. So wow. we were reminiscing about our time there. And and did you what did you specialize in, or were you a general recruiter? Um, mostly at that point, um, administrative assistance. But I moved over pretty quickly. I managed um, the permanent placement function, and then also ran their finance. So awesome. I got my hands dirty in a little, a few areas. What was the recruitment. first? What was the first lesson you learned in recruiting? The first, be a hundred percent authentic. I cannot sell what I don't believe in. I believe you. Yeah. Yep. And that's something so, that ca you've carried with you, you know, all the way, all the way to this point. So you spent some time at, you spent some time at search and then it was time to make a move in-house and, and what was next? So it, I'll tell you, this was, I, I don't know if it's on my resume. I may have moved it around a little bit, but after I left Atrium, I was there for eight and a half years. I wanted to go in, internal, but I didn't know like full cycle recruitment. And I called this guy who I was marketing as a client and I told him I'm looking. And he hired me sight unseen and asked me to join the team. It was a temporary position. He said, but I'll teach you everything you need to know. And it was at AOL Time Warner oh, when wow. they had had set up that internal executive search function. And I went over there and he taught me everything. And I spent about three months recruiting for him, doing full cycle and getting my feet really, really, you know, I guess wet or whatever you call it. And, and it was really, really fun. And then serious had an open role and I moved over there and Atrium actually put me in there and world. yep and then very quickly you know became the director of recruitment for for Sirius Satellite Radio that was a fun time it was it, it was, was, so it, was fun. It, it was different but I want to kind of go back a little bit to Atrium and to even to yeah. the point of, of Sirius so like how have you seen the technology you know evolve and in a in a positive way in a negative way and how has it affected you know, the practice of recruiting, like, has it made it easier to stay close to that human element or is that, has it moved us away? I'm going to tell you, I think it moved us away a little bit. And there's a couple of things. We were just talking about this at Atrium. I kept a lit, it was an Excel, it wasn't in an Excel spreadsheet. I made with a ruler, a spreadsheet. Paper. Use yeah, paper. on paper. <laughs> I faxed the resumes. No, yeah. And I made calls. I, I opened up the phone book to market clients, right? And you just felt very intimately involved with the people you were working with. And it felt so satisfying to make the real connection, whether it was a client or a candidate at that moment in time, because you didn't have the um, buffer of technology between you and that person. Um, so that was interesting. But also, I remember at a couple of things. At Sirius, we had a system called Sonic Recruit. I don't know if you remember that. I, I mean, it was that's what we were using. It was the simplest, best ATS I ever worked on in my entire life. And still to you this day. Still to this day. You look, you look at a resume, you move it. You look at it, you move it. It was like almost, it was so easy and so Intuitive. functional. Yeah. And then there is not, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pitch any applicant tracking systems because I think that they're all over-engineered and really recruiters need very simple processes because it, it's so highly administrative, the recruitment job, uh, as you know, like, and, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think I think even in this day and age too. I mean, I I'm in the trenches, right? I am yeah. literally the one who is, and we talk about the ATS. I'm I'm there all the time working for my clients where I'm reviewing the resumes coming in, yeah. and it's it's a burden, right? There's a lot of resumes yeah. coming in, especially now when so many people are out of work, and it's tough because you want to be empathetic, right? You want to be empathetic mm-hmm. to the folks that you know are out of work, but at the same time, I always urge people like you have to take your job search, and we'll get to this in a little bit, and, re- and be responsible. But there's a lot of people applying for jobs that are, are just completely not qualified, right? And I think 100%. that puts a burden on our, and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit because I want to stay focused yep. on the career if that's my job as a host to keep yep. us the train on the tracks here. So you progressed, number of years at Sirius. I loved working there. I always look back and I always say, uh, you know, I made, I was here for five years and I made the move to American Express because <laughs> I, I needed to, but I kind of uh-huh. I kind of regret that a little bit. I wanted to stay. So you went to Sirius XM, you went to Guilt, Conde, ah, Bonobos. I mean, you were there when it was, Early, early on, right? Little, well, little little pants company, right? Right, little pants company. It was actually pretty far along, but I was their first upper head of HR. I want to go back to one thing. Do you mind, Please, Adam? I'm serious. The thing that I appreciated so much about the people at Sirius, they were really, really smart people. And there were so many interesting areas of the business under one roof. So you had software engineering, hardware engineering, satellite engineering radio engineering you had sales and marketing you had oem content it was so unbelievable and such a great place to learn business i i loved it and one thing i appreciated as a recruiter and i think a lot of recruiters would understand this is that there was not one move that that company made that i wasn't sitting in the room with them as they were deciding whether to launch a new initiative a new program because their number one question was, how quickly can we get the talent in here? Since Sirius, I have not been in a company that has done that um, in the same way. And that was so special and so right and so smart. So as a leader who's now in a position to influence change in an organization, how do you influence that process at the companies that you've been in a leadership role at? Well, I mean, when I moved to Bonobos, clearly I was their first, as I said, proper head of HR. So yes, whenever we talked about what we wanted to do next, we talked about talent. And I was also fortunate in that environment to have Andy Dunn, the CEO and co-founder, very, very much involved in the recruitment process and really understood that the only way a company is successful is through the talent you bring in the door. So... um, we we managed to have that front and center of every conversation there. Um, but it wasn't the same in other places. And it was hard to influence, you know, um, especially if in larger organizations where a director of recruitment might be a few layers below and also partners with HR VPs or directors and VPs of HR who are really, you know, the voice um, between recruitment and the client, the internal client. So that structure is a little bit difficult to That's navigate. Yeah. And and one of the things that I've seen, you know, in my short tenure in this world is that the companies that do not, the companies that, that do not treat HR and rec- who do not treat recruiting as a primary function are the ones that do not succeed. The ones that do not look at it as a profit center, but look at it, you know, as a cost, the ones that do not put people first are the ones that are really not not succeeding. You know, it really yep. starts at the top. It really starts with those executives really valuing the people. And, you know, there's a balance there because a lot of people think that's an old school approach, but there's a lot of new companies out there that kind of fall into that trap. And it really starts 
with having the executive team and the founders on board, understanding that, you know, people are first, people are the lifeblood and people are the ones that build the products, that build everything, that connect with the consumers. And, and that's a tough one. And that's a tough conversation. But I, I truly think, and I'd love to get your perspective, that as an industry, as a whole, as a society, we're really changing that direction. Yeah, I mean, I always say to leadership teams, to my team, look, a great go-to-market strategy, great financials, great technology just doesn't fall from the sky. No. It comes from the people. And if in the boardroom, leaders and board members are not talking about the people, and they some, you'd be surprised, they're not doing that necessarily. They're talking about the financials, they're talking about the technology, they're talking about the go-to-market strategy, but they're not, they're talking about it as if it just happened. They're not talking about what it took to make that happen. And that's very different. Um, so you have to be able to put the people first and that people experience is so important and it does actually lead to a better customer experience in the long run. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads me to, you know, recruiting, right? Like the, the yeah. fundamentals, the fundamentals of recruiting. And I think that, you know, I always say that in any organization, your recruiter is your first point of contact with any future employee. They are your brand ambassador. Yeah. And that experience has to echo the values of the company, the culture. So they're 100%. able to properly articulate it so they can tell the brand story. And that's why I think it's so important that there's proper training, right? We're not just hiring recruiters to fill seats. That's not what it's no. all about. So you have a new recruiter on your team and that maybe they're junior, maybe they've come from maybe, maybe a limited experience. Like how do you indoctrinate them in that first couple of days in there to really get them into the way that you like to build teams within that recruiting organization? That's such a great question because I'm going to think of our friend, Sarah Sheehan. So Sarah Sheehan, you know, didn't know anything about recruitment. And one of the things that I did with her is first I took her through just like the process steps. And I remember, mapping them out for her and we had a hysterical moment like in a room i'm teaching her like i'm a teacher it's just her and, and we're like board. what is going on what is going on here um but what i did was i asked her to actually sit in the middle of the teams that she was recruiting for so it's like spend the time sitting right next to them physically you know, interacting with them on a regular basis for a period of time. So you fully understand not only what they're doing, but you understand the dynamic of the team and what might be missing, right? What is a good complementary skill set or, or behavior that this team needs to be really, really healthy and really, really successful going forward? So that's where I, I always start. Like, you need to know who you're recruiting for. And I think that probably, and I don't know about you, Adam, but when I was recruiting, sometimes when I got really into the job, I, I actually did recruiting while I led recruitment for Guild. And I was responsible for recruiting for our, project, our product managers. And I worked so hard on these roles and got to know the team so well. I was like, could I do this? Yeah. And I, I did that. I, I used to do that all the time. I was like, could I do this job? But you, you I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I recruit mostly marketing roles where I, the world I used to come from. And sometimes I'll be sitting there and it's a great role with a great company. And I'm like, should I throw my hat in the ring? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you get so immersed in, in the role and the, the job and the team. That's the good yeah. stuff. That's when you put yeah. away all the crap that comes in with recruiting. But you hit the nail <laughs> on the head too, because let's call it what it is. 
it's not incredibly difficult in recruiting from the skill set perspective. We could find that on the resume. We know if someone's coming from a similar company and a similar job, but it's those soft skills. It's those intangibles. And what I learned early on was in recruiting was to understand somebody's motivation, a candidate's motivation. Yeah. Why are they looking to change jobs? What are they not getting in their current role? Are they undervalued, underutilized? Are they not happy right. there? Do they want to switch jobs because maybe they're underperforming or maybe they really don't like what the heck they're doing? And maybe this conversation isn't right for them. Maybe maybe this move isn't right. Or let's call it what it is. Some people literally just need to make more money. Maybe right. their life situation, maybe they have another kid, they have to buy a house. But understanding that helps you contextualize and put everything into the conversation. Now, shifting to what you spoke about was yep. how is that going to, to work within that team? And I despise, and I'd like to get your take on it, the word culture fit. I despise uh, fit. Fit is not a word for me. Culture is a fabric, right? And each one of the fabric is made up of different threads. It's a quilt, different materials, right. different textures. And that's what makes a company great. And that's when you embed yourself with the team, when you understand what the dynamic is and the roles and everything. So talk to me a little bit about that word culture and how do you infuse yeah. it and how do you keep it growing and active and yeah. changing Cult in the right direction? Culture is so tricky. And I, <clears throat> first of all, I don't like culture fit. I like like contributor or people who carry the culture um, throughout the organization. And I, we, I see it, you know, bringing it back to the restaurant business, like a recipe, right? Like what spice is missing? You know, you taste, mm -hmm. you're making soup and you go and taste and you're like, what is this missing? And that's how you have to think as a recruiter. I like that. What is this? What is this, you know, spice that we we need for this group to just take it to the next level? Um, and I always I, and I'm just saying something off, like going off on a tangent. Like I cook from the top of my head. Everything has to be heightened, and that's what group, that's what team should be. It should be sharp and heightened. How do we keep going up? I love it. So anyway, that being said, one thing I, I have to say about culture, and I think HR has suddenly in the last few years taken on the full responsibility of not only like building culture, changing culture, nurturing culture, being the ambassadors of culture. We, you know, yes, we have to do a lot around culture, but we do not own culture. Right. Culture is owned by every single person in an exactly. organization. And so, and, and it's, that also starts from the top. So your culture is, you know, how you obviously operate, what you expect from each other, what is rewarded, what is looked down and frowned upon. That are Those are the things that determine culture. Have you ever felt, and you don't have to name and shame here, have you ever felt at any of the stops in your career where you've had to sell a role or a position or a company that you didn't really believe in? Like maybe, you know, they said, hey, our culture is great. It's great. But you knew on the inside it was really garbage. Have you ever been in that position? Yes, I have. How do you and handle then, that? How do you be truthful? How do you still do your job and perform and hire? It's usually when I know I'm ready to go. Yeah, for yourself. Because, I, yeah, like like I said, one thing about being a great recruiter, you – you, uh, you have to sell what you believe in. And if you can't sell what you believe in, then it's probably not right for you too. Oh, and totally. you shouldn't be there. Yeah, you shouldn't be there any longer. Spot on. So, wow, we're going off on so many crazy yeah. tangents here. And it's fantastic. But I do want to wrap up the career journey. Sure. We know you're onto something new. And we're going to say yeah. that maybe by the time this episode airs, it'll be public, which I assume it will be. Let's talk about Walmart. Um, I know Bonobos got acquired by, by Walmart. Um, yeah. What was that like in, in, in that giant organization? How do they keep a giant organization small and intimate and and can, and build that culture? Yeah, it, first of all, it was one of the most amazing experiences. I, I, you know, yes, it was shocking 
here we are, Bonobos, we're this cute little wonderful lighthearted company selling men's pants and, you know, giggling and laughing and joking. And, um, and then now we're part of this incredible, large, crazy large organization, you know, 2.3 million employees around the world and, you know, over half a trillion dollars in revenues every year. And how do we, you know, it, the big question was, how do we maintain who we are and what we do and how we do it um, while still obviously being part of this, this um, big organization? A lot of it came, a lot of it was done or accomplished through myself and the HR team. And what we did was we buffered a lot. We stood in the middle and we were, we had Walmart respected our culture and respected what we wanted to do and wanted us to maintain that culture. It is why they acquired us. And we were, we were ring fenced to a certain degree. There were back office processes and practices that we did have to um, integrate into Walmart. And there's also economies of scale there. There's efficiencies, there's system integration. We get that. Right. And it wasn't all like, you know, this is so great. It sounds so great, Sarah. There were some really tough moments and tough times like negotiating, you know, even the way in which we articulated something that Walmart wanted to put through to Bonobos, a a policy or practice or a process, you know, going back and forth on how we were allowed to articulate that so that it landed well with people at Bonobos. And we got we got a lot through. and we did a lot of work around it. And our communication was really buttoned up because we did want it to be successful. We wanted Walmart to be successful with Bonobos, Bonobos to be successful with Walmart. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was it was a, a, a really tough 2017 getting acquired and then integrating into their back offices, but I learned so much. And Walmart was really interesting. It's, you know, it's an undeniably successful company and I, I really, appre- yeah, I really appreciated everything I learned from that experience. That's, that's fantastic. And very curious to see how you take all those learnings to the next journey, yes. which we're going to tease everyone with. So, you know, hot topic right now, diversity and hiring. And I really, yes. truly wish that it didn't take the current events to bring this to the forefront. But how do we, who are the front line of bringing on new people into an organization, ensure diversity, ensure that every applicant has an equal chance? How do we ensure that we're remo- removing bias as best as possible? How do we all do this while managing, you know, all the other, juggling all the balls in the air? Yeah, I mean, I think I start with the fact that every single manager should be held accountable and actually should absolutely want to have an inclusive and diverse team. Because the studies show that team is going to be that much more productive and that much happier. In, in their work and the experience will be that much better. So if that's the, what the, the data shows us, then why wouldn't every single manager want that? So it starts there. And then it comes, if you're thinking about the way in which um, the recruitment team approaches it, I mean, I just don't think we can take, hey, there just aren't any candidates, um, diverse it's candidates. Not an excuse. And I think then we're not looking at our sourcing techniques and, and what's most effective in attracting and yeah. or resourcing diverse pool of candidates. I also think that many companies have probably a diverse 
you know, pool of potential candidates internally? And what is a company willing to do to A, make room for the diverse candidate, and then also make sure that those, can, those internal candidates are qualified? So where's the investment to ensure that we are making sure our diverse population get everything they need to be most successful in our organizations? That's that's well said. I mean, but how do you find that balance too for an organization when when I hear it all the time, we need to hire more diverse candidates, but how do you ensure that you're hiring the best candidate regardless while still applying that diversity filter? That's a that's a tough tightrope to walk. Well, we're just then we're assuming, by the way, that there's an assumption there that has to be sort of peeled away in my mind, right? We are not we are not necessarily reaching the qualified candidates who are diverse. We are not getting there. I can guarantee we haven't done the hard work to get there. They are out there and we need to find them. We also need to be organizations that are attractive to diverse populations. So, you know, if, if by the way, you're seen as like, mm, I wouldn't want to go there, you're never going to be able to attract no a qualified diverse candidate. So and I also think that we need organizations are going to have to look to invest, right? Exactly. If and if you're in design, let's say in apparel design, and there's not enough diverse uh, designers out there, then invest in programs that bring that talent up through the ranks and right. and and, um, and bring them into your right. organization. Maybe it's part. Maybe it's partnering at the at the school level with like an FIT, that's right. another design design school. Now that's that's absolutely true, and we could talk for hours about that. Yes. But another piece that you brought up in our in our pre conversation is you have a formula PX equals CX, which is really <laughs> about applying customer marketing techniques to people practices. Kindly enlighten us, Sarah. So I I strongly believe that we should be. Um, treating our internal customer, the employees in the same exact way as we're treating our external customers of our business, right? That we should have, that an employee should have the same um, feeling about where they work at every touch point within their employee journey, just like a customer would, right? You think about the customer journey, we should constantly be thinking about the employee journey. And we should be using marketing tools and tactics to ensure that they are having the best people experience throughout their time in an organization so that they obviously then produce more and give more ultimately to the customer. And so, yes, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Continue. So I, I, you know, I, I feel that we, there's a little bit of a miss because we think that people experience is, Hey, you know, free lunch and a foosball table and those are perks. Right, exactly. Or like, you know, how many times we're, you know, happy hours or Zoom happy hours now and all of that. Casual that's Fridays. <laughs> By the way, that's fantastic. Hawaiian shirt Wonderful. Thursday. <laughs> exactly. But that's not what people experience no. is. So people experience in my mind is if you show up in an organization, do you have the tools you need to be successful at every point in your journey within that organization? And by tools, I mean, do you get the learning you need? Do you have the systems you need? Are you set up for success? Are you set up for success? Just as you want your customer to set, be set up for success right. as they interact with your or with your business. You want your employee to be successful as they interact with your business. Right. And and in the same breath, it's for employees, it's feeling valued. I mean, I always say that about culture. I always say like, 
do I feel like I'm valued within an organization, that my contributions matter, that do I have a clear path for success within there? Because that's how you breed loyalty within it. Yep. That's how you reduce attrition. And those are the most important things. If you want to get back to the numbers to it, I mean, we all know how much more it costs to hire somebody new than to promote and hire from within. There's an incredible cost savings within that. And the sooner that companies recognize that, you know, the, the better we'll be. Um, another piece that you talked Wait, about- Wait, I have I, one, sure, I want to say it. one thing to Please, that. Please, absolutely. I think it's really important that, yes, you do, you, you make sure your internal people have what they need to be successful. You need to also understand what external candidates have and what's attractive about them, meaning like, wow, this person knows how to do X, Y, and Z. We need to be able to ensure that we are, you know, getting our people up to speed on X, Y, and Z as well. Does that make sense? No, it, it absolutely yeah. does. And and I find this is really interesting too. I've had a couple of leaders who have come to me and these are usually, you know, mid senior level and above. They're like, wow, I just spoke to a candidate and I learned so much from them that I want to apply to the, to our team in addition to hiring them, right? This person's bringing so much, they opened up my eyes too. So having leaders that are completely on board too. And listen, we could spend hours talking about the hiring process and getting all that in line, but I and I think we spoke you know, a lot about that um, with some other folks. And I definitely wanna talk about that in the pandemic because I wanna keep this conversation focused on you know, the real senior level um, where you're at. And you talk a lot about leadership and leadership with a soul, right? Yes. I want to unpack that for a little bit, and especially in today's day and age, in this time of the pandemic, in a time when everyone just needs to be a lot more caring and a lot more empathetic, how do we ensure that there is soul within leadership? <coughs> Excuse me, I have this tickle in my throat and um, it's driving me crazy. Um, so I, first of all, before the pandemic hit, I, everybody was talking about the future of work and what would the most successful leaders look like. And truly the most successful leaders, when you think about the future of work, are going to be those who make a true human connection with those around them. Because yes, there's going to be all of this, these parts of our jobs that are going to be absorbed by technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And what's going to be most important is managing, and I heard this from somebody else, so Sai, thank you. Um, managing the energy of others and your ability to manage the energy of others only can come through the most human connection, right? So now here we are in COVID and the pandemic and everything we're doing is with the, is interacting with technology to right. try to get to the human. So it's even more important that you come to the table with the most open heart as as you know sarah says and other people say but also with like what i mean by soul is like give it your all have an understanding have emotion like we are allowed to be emotional because we're human you know like yeah. i i'm sure you're you've been in positions where people are like that person's so emotional of course I they're emotional that. we're a human being and like, then plus it all going to work in our line right, of work exactly. of recruiting, I mean, these are people's lives, like next to like who you marry, who your spouse is, and those life decisions, like the job where you work is right at the top of that list. And that's our industry. So we have to be an open heart and we have to be open and empathetic. And if you're not, maybe you should reconsider your, your chosen career. A hundred percent. So I feel like, you know, I, I look for organizations and teams that um, have soul, you know, someplace where you feel you can feel the warmth, you can feel the laughter the lightheartedness, the seriousness of business, meaning like you can feel all the feels just yeah. like a human being, right? Like we cannot deny all the feelings we have 
or we'd be half a person, yeah, right? Totally. You can't say like, oh, I don't like that. You know, I, and, and I'm guilty of this. I don't like when people are negative, but negativity is, doesn't have to be a bad thing. It just has to be, um, managed right and 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 understood and then move forward but it's part of the human it's being part of being human is we're not all going to agree right we're not all going to agree on things and there's going to be positive times and negative times in our life and it's about how you how you react and i want to talk a little bit more about this time of covid you know you spoke a lot about that connection right when 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 even in this world of technology pre-COVID, there, are, there was lots of remote roles and all that too. But the hiring process is a very human energy feel. It's mm-hmm. a touch and feel process, right? Being able to sit in a room across from somebody and have that gut feeling. Is this somebody that I want to have on my team? Is this somebody that I feel that I could work with? It's really hard to duplicate that experience virtually. What are you seeing out there? How are we, you know, how are we going to get, you know, to that point? You know, a lot of companies are still hiring. They're making, you know, big moves there. But how do we ensure right. that that energy is still, the connection is still there? Look, I think it, it, having been a candidate very recently, I learned a lot and experienced a lot, which is, I guess, helpful to, in answering this question. You know, it takes a lot to bring your personality, you know, to the computer and over Zoom and have it land mm-hmm. with a person on the other side in the way in which you want it to land, Right. Um, and it's very difficult and it's very hard. Um, I think that ultimately, Adam, I'm I'm part of the group of people, and I think we, we talked a little bit about this, that um, it's going to be important for people to come together again personally, in, in person, sorry, and interact um, because there is something missing by being on Zoom. You can't, like, people take in information about another person through not just their eyes or their ears. It's everything, right? It's the sensory experience. It's body language. It's everything. And we're missing a lot um, over Zoom or over calls. And sometimes actually calls are better than Zoom because you can hear it. You can really focus on the tone of the voice and and the emotion of the voice. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's less distractions. Yes. You don't have all those other things around. You don't have all that, too. You know, and I've seen right. it kind of work both ways where I've, where I've spoken to a few leaders who have hired executive leadership completely remote and they have not even met this person, you know, physically yet. And they yes. say, listen, it takes a few extra steps, it takes a few extra yep. Zoom calls there. But you're ultimately, you know, you're ultimately still going with your gut. And I want to get back to something <laughs> we spoke about before, something that you and I, I believe are aligned on. Returning to work. There are a lot of companies, in my opinion, that I think jumped the gun that said, hey, we're never going to be, we're always going to be fully remote moving forward. But like humans, in my opinion, they they need connection. They need to have that culture. And I think that we're not meant to work in silos. We're meant to be together. We're meant to collaborate. Yes, we want the choice. We want the flexibility to say, hey, listen, if I don't feel comfortable coming in for whatever reasons, my, my company understands that as long as I'm getting the job done, I'm being a contributor to the team, that's that's okay. But people need to be together and I'm optimistic we'll get there soon. What are your thoughts? I totally agree. I think there are so many amazing and innovative ideas that come from like this quick conversation you might have in the hallway or you pop your head into somebody's office. Pop it in the water cooler. Yeah. (laughs) Or you hear something, you know, you hear a conversation and, and suddenly an idea pops into your head about how you can, you know, solve for a problem or or you know address a challenge that just isn't happening in this environment, right? And I think people need to be successful. I think businesses are going to turn around in a year or two and say, 
we were just that much better when we were together in the same space or, you know, interacting much more regularly in person because of those things. I don't think that unless, you know, yes, certain types of businesses, yes, people can work remotely, but those businesses that I believe are consumer facing mostly will want to be back in the office I agree. and will really want to have that type of interaction. And then aside from like, how do you instill, how do you keep culture? Like, like, how do you, con- like, I, if I see one more virtual happy hour, no one's interested in that, right? We want right. to be together we, and we'll, and we'll get there. And I, and I really am truly optimistic. Um, so one thing that's really tough to be optimistic about is, you know, let's take a little detour here into uh, your other passion and business outside of recruitment. You're a restaurant owner. I mean, yes. it's gotta be the most unbelievably difficult time. How do you keep afloat? How do you keep this business uh, alive and the people that work for you and your place in the community? Like, please tell us a little bit more. Yeah. um, (coughs) Excuse me. Um, It has not been easy. Um, It hasn't been um, necessarily fun, but we've been, you know, at, at first, and I'll just take you through a little bit. Uh, the history at first, when the pandemic hit, we closed for a period of time because we just didn't want to put anybody in jeopardy, anybody in our business, safety, customers, our team. We just decided to close. And then we reopened for takeout. And, um, and, and that went fairly well in that we were one of the first restaurants in our neighborhood to open for takeout. And we we delivered. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, that was pretty pretty good for, you know, a couple of our um, people who work for us and for our, you know, our, our customers and our community. It's just been tough. And I, I mean, look, the restaurant business is such a critical part of our economy, especially here in New York City. I cannot say that any restaurant, even with all the outside space that they're taking, is doing well because of the costs. It's a, a numbers restaurant. game, right? It's yes. almost, I've even seen this even, it's even more, it's more cost prohibitive to open up at 25, 30% capacity because it's tables, <laughs> it's turnover. That's what oh, it's all it's about in the business. A hundred percent. It's the turnover. The margins aren't that great compared to the rent you're paying in New York. Forget it. A hundred percent. And also you can't have people sitting at your bar. You can't, you know, it's a very, very different animal. And I, you know, I've heard some of the statistics about how many restaurants will actually close before this is all over. And this is just such a tragedy for people who have invested their life and this is their love and customers and employees alike. I mean, it really has been, been very tough. Now we're following the guidelines that the governor has put into place and the mayor, and we are doing the best we can um, along with our neighbors and our neighboring restaurants and, um, and we'll see how it goes, but it just, it's so it's, it's really sad. It's just a sad situation. It, it It's the, almost the epitome of like, for the business world, this is what happened. This is the worst. This yeah. is the worst. And it's, uh, yeah. The I small mean, business the rest, owner. I mean, the, the restaurant business in itself is incredibly challenging. You yeah. this on top of it. I, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. I hope you are too, that it will come back and, and, and we'll get there because they need it in the community, their employers, you know, they create jobs. They, they're, they're a hub, they're a meeting spot. They're the culture and, and we'll get back there. And it's sad. And it's, it's definitely a, a, a huge, a huge victim of this. Um, <laughs> it's bad. Restaurant owner, leader in our world, mom of two, dogs, everything. How do you balance it all? What's kind of your secret to keeping level sane and everything and keeping the train on the tracks, as we like to say? Yeah, you know what? I think um, my daughters are grown now. They're in their 20s. So um, 
you know, they make it very easy for me, but I've always worked. I have never not worked for as long as I can remember, except for this period of time that I've had during, you know, my search for a new role. But um, I think I I keep my mind focused where I'm at. So I try to stay as present as possible in where I'm at. So when I'm home, I'm home. When I'm at work, I'm at work. Now we're at work and home. And um, I sort of compartmentalize uh, what needs to be done. So work stays there, home, it stays there, the kids, the dogs, the restaurant. I've o- I've always worked better when I've had more on my plate. And keep some people um, work like that, right? It keeps, you, right. Keep, it keeps you focused. I love it. Yeah. Sarah, what, what, is, what does the word authentic mean to you? It means being able to show up as you are, no matter where you are and who you're with. And that that being who you are is fully embraced by others. So when I think about how I'm authentic with my team, it's not only do I show up as myself, no matter whether it's with my team or my boss or a board or with other groups of people, it's also in how I embrace the differences on my team that I appreciate what everybody else brings to the table. And I, I try to, you know, nurture that and allow people to be their very different, unique selves. That's, that's tremendous. I love it. And I, and I meant to ask this question earlier. So you're about to embark on a new journey soon. Hopefully yeah. we'll be able to announce it. Yeah. Um, so you're starting this job and mm-hmm. you, for some reason in your onboarding, you have a recruiter his or her first day ever in recruiting and you got to turn to him and her and give them one golden piece of advice to be successful in the world of recruiting, what would it be? I think it comes back to, hey, um, you can cast the farthest net and bring in the most people to your business. But if you are not what your you know, star talent is looking for, it's never going to work. So you have to operate as if you're look, you know, like the business that those individuals would be most attracted to joining. So um, that's, that's what I would say. So yeah, the recruiter can like pull in everybody, pull in everything, but they got to turn around internally and say, look, people, here's what those candidates want and need. And, and this is, you know, where they want to be. And if we want them, we have to start, uh, start operating, you know, like that. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, what's the greatest piece of advice that you ever received that you take action on every single day? Greatest piece of advice I have ever Oh, gee. That you take action. Uh, on, that's the caveat on this one, that you take action on every single day. To be honest, it's about it's 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 around articulating my thoughts, like take that moment you know, speak to a high level idea and then break it down into three small bites. Uh, that's that's a good one. Yeah. You know, we, we, we talk a lot on this show and over the last seven months, I can't believe I'm saying seven months. First, it was like the last two months, the last right. three months, and now it's seven months. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about we talk a lot about silver linings. We talk a lot about um, the good that comes out of the bad. And yeah. I would love if you could share one personal and one professional silver lining that you've experienced uh, during this time of the pandemic. The silver lining is that I've had, I've been, you know, out of work now for almost three, for three and a half, four months. And the silver lining is that I've been able to raise a brand new baby puppy. Um, I'm building a house upstate and watch that house go up and really yeah. understand how that, you know, learning 
how, how you build a house, being able to really spend quality time with my husband and my kids, time that I have not spent with them for the last 20 something years. Um, and that is, it's been remarkable at the end of the day to be able to do that. Um, and I, I, I'm so appreciative, even though it was tough, tough, you know, and also scary and uncertain. But, you know, I have a really good family and a really good network of friends and, and colleagues who have supported me throughout it. And I, the other day, I, Adam, I, I was driving home from upstate New York and I was like, I'm where I'm absolutely supposed to be right now in my life. This is it. It's a great I'm feeling. I'm supposed to be here. So, you know, even when tough things happen and, you know, your things don't seem like you're going to work out, they will ultimately work out if you, you know, steady as they go. I love it. And yeah. Sarah, last, last but not least, I mean, you've been through a lot in your life, your career, the ups, the downs. And when you think about those times that were tough, you think about the last seven months, when you think about this restaurant that you've, you and your husband have poured your heart, your soul, your money, your time into, and you see it just, it's out of your control. This situation is out of control and you had to really dig down deep and really harness that inner tenacity to pull yourself up, to be strong for your employees and your family. And on the flip side of that, when you want to show gratitude and just thankful for everything, like you just said, for being in the right mm -hmm. place, right where you want to be. Sarah Patterson, what is your North Star? What is my North Star? Um, I, I say this, if I don't feel happy, happiness, number one, but happiness, the experience, being around people who I connect with, that's my North Star. I just, I, I listen, I am a good time girl at the end of the day. I want to laugh. I want to cry. But I want to be around people I truly connect with, whether it's personally or at work, and 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 do great things with people and 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 create wonderful experiences and wonderful products um, for consumers. So that's that's what I would say it is. I love it. Sarah, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us today and sharing your wisdom and your insight. I appreciate <laughs> you. I appreciate our relationship. Um, you, let's Adam. definitely let's definitely see you know where it goes in your next move. Um, okay. And where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? You can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> definitely look me up and connect. I'm more than happy to connect and chat and, and talk with people on LinkedIn. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much. And to everybody who has joined us today, thank you for spending your time with us. I hope you found value, insight. You laughed, you cried. No, I didn't think we had the crying moments, but it was it was definitely a fantastic, insightful conversation. I could literally talk to Sarah for hours. We could have unpacked so many deeper things. Um, and I definitely want to continue this because I think we, we, we should have another one um, and get a little deeper in a couple of months. And everybody, you know, uh, uh, Sarah Sheehan's podcast is up. You can find that on the podcast.com. Uh, if you like this show, please leave a comment. Please leave a review. It means a lot. Please share it. Please spread the word. You know where to find us on all the social media channels. Find us on LinkedIn. Find us on thepodcast.com. Please remember, look out for each other. Look out for your fellow man and woman and child and animal. Take care of your small businesses. Support them where you can. They need it now more than anything. And ultimately, just look out for each other. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com.